Hello and welcome to another episode of Sacred Cinema with me, your host, Jimmy Bernasconi, here on 2XXFM on the 98.3 frequency. Uh, this week's topic is killers. Yes, got some exciting updates for you, uh, dear listener, loyal listener, maybe you're a first-time listener. If you are, welcome to the show. Um, We really appreciate having you along for the ride. This is the show in which we discuss cinema, um, the the long and lush history of the silver screen, and, and, and try and pull out some interesting insights about the world around us, maybe about ourselves as well, uh, from those films. Every week we take a look at a specific topic this week. We're having a look at Killers. Because I think it builds on nicely from some of the other issues and topics that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. Um, but some exciting, just logistical uh, updates. First things, I have a new notebook. Uh, fans of the show would know that, uh, or maybe you've seen the little videos I put on, put on social media, or maybe not. Um, I, I do a big sort of mind map, and that's what I read off when I do uh, the show. And uh, I used to use like the A4, and I just, I don't know who this is helping. If it's just one person, I'm doing my job. But the the conversion from A4 to A3 notebook for a mind map, I cannot recommend it enough. It doesn't really fit in my bag, but there's so much more space. I can actually read my own writing. Now, so many times on the show, I'm, I'm st- stuttering, trying to figure out, you know, what word I've written down because I write, uh, my handwriting is just shocking. But now it's more spaced out. I can really tell what I'm um, what I'm writing here. Uh, and then the other one is, I, I don't, I'm not sure if anyone ever picks up on this, but I just realized something, there's something very cool about the 2XX uh, FM studio and doing a movie show in this studio. It's, it's almost like some kind of synchronistic thing. But we're next to the Dendy Cinema Canberra, and um, when I'm doing, when I'm like writing the notes, I'm doing the show. When there's like a big blockbuster on next door, like it's like Fast and Furious or something like that, you can hear like the like through the walls sometimes. And just dear listener, if you ever pick up on that, um, can you let me know? Because I just think it's so cool, and I'd love to somehow coordinate it that would be amazing if i couldn't that wouldn't that be cool anyway uh i just i just thought i'd raise that because i just think it's a kind of cool little cool little trivia fact uh for for the loyal listeners out there but anyway moving on to the actual content of the show we're talking about killers. Uh, this, I think, this carries on well from the last couple of weeks, where we talked about, um, you know, last week we were talking about uh, boys gone wild and these sort of lone wolf type guys that go out and sort of cause a lot of carnage. And we were talking about that because we're building on this this concept of eliminating the enemy. This 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 thing that's been coming up a lot, in, and we're going to talk about it in just a second. It's becoming up a lot in the current cultural climate. Trying to make someone vanish, trying to create their absence, trying to induce uh, the absence of an individual in society. We're, and, and, and Killers is sort of picking up where that left off, I suppose, this episode, I mean. Um, we, we're not so much talking about the actual act of murdering itself, you know, you know, how to get away with murder or something like that, but more the, the, actual, the, the actual elimination element of eliminating the enemy. Who should do it? Why should they do it? Why do people do it? Why do we feel like we should do it? And, and, and who's, whose role is it really? Or uh, who's the person that really um, has responsibility over that? Th- those are the sort of questions we're going to try uh, our hardest to 
um, to answer. And we have been hovering hovering around just this general topic. I think the idea of like 1v1, you know, the idea of, you know, who, who should have responsibility over these big um, questions of justice and injustice. And even going back a bit further, we, we did that episode on cops uh, many weeks ago and, and the, about the idea of self-sacrifice and what it is, to, you know, what would the ideal uh, protector look like? And I think that that's coming up a lot in the collective uh, unconscious at the moment. Um, specifically, the Depp Heard trial, which has just taken the world by storm. I mean, if that wasn't a, a circus of character assassinations, um, you know, you tell me what was, uh, you know, I, I, or, or what is. Um, I feel like no matter who you talk to, there's an opinion on it, and it's a strong opinion. It's very similar to what we talked about when we talked about uh, the recent Australian election. Apologies to non-Australian listeners, but I'm sure you can uh, you know, relate, you know, in your own country's elections. Um, you know, you get to this point where people start conflating these, these very uh, rigid, very um, clear-cut uh, and defined um, uh, sort of character um, uh, characteristics and traits of certain people and really put them in a clear bucket. This one is a bad one. This one is a good one. We need to get rid of the bad ones and get in more of the good ones. We have this very sort of rigid understanding of, of, of who fits in what bucket and that sort of thing. And I guess this is uh, maybe a symptom or a secondary symptom of something else, but this, we are in the era of, of, of cancel culture and this, and we, and we I think we are, we're constantly seeing in the world that this this, this this idea of wanting to induce the absence of people or, or in other words, we, 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 we kind of have this obsession with nullifying people. And it does feel sort of new. I mean, I haven't been around the world for that. I haven't been in this world for very long. Um, but when, when we look back in history and look back in culture, I'm trying to think, it'd be great to get some feedback from, from the listeners. If you can think of a time in which people were so obsessed with nullifying individual people. I mean, there's definitely been times uh, where there's been revolutions. Yeah, I think about someone like, like Oliver Cromwell and the idea of beheading someone and, and making sure that their death is clear and, and that their, their, their time on earth was finite and they don't have any lingering influence in that sort of Sort of thing. So it's not obviously not a new thing. We've been in, we've been tribalistic since our since our beginnings. But just this obsession with character assassination, convincing the world and being so sure that we all agree who are the goodies and who are the baddies and what do we do? Essentially, what we, this week is all about is you know what do we do with the baddies? How does that work and whose responsibility is that? But um, as always, you know, there's a lot to get through. So let's jump straight into the movies and stop talking about um, how big my um, workbook is. Uh, the first movie we're going to talk about is an Australian film. Fantastic movie, or at least in my opinion, uh, directed by Justin Kersel. People would know him more recently for directing Nitram, uh, or I think someone called it Nitro Man. Why? That's the wrong pronunciation. Um, that's from 2011, Snowtown, uh, that we're going to be talking about there. And then we're going to move on to Killer Joe, another fan uh, uh, fan recommendation. And I want to give a big shout out to Big Eddie B um, for that one. And then we're going to move on uh, to our final film. And that would be Sling Blade from 1996. Written, directed, and starring one of my favorite actors of all time, Billy Bob Thornton. Um, but let's start off now with our first film, Snowtown from 2011. And I want to talk about this one more in the context of why people kill or why people feel justified to kill. And, and as I mentioned, I might not have made this clear enough. I think it's really important to look at all the films this week, not necessarily being about murder per se, but about this idea of nullifying individuals. So I guess another way you could look at this is why do people, and while this is based on a true story, I will, you know, obviously that's important to um, headline at the beginning, but while this, you know, does have a extremely, you know, all these films have a lot of violence and, and, and gore, I suppose, but um, let's 
also try and think about it in a more metaphorical sense about the idea of taking someone out, you know, not necessarily actually killing them, but maybe people in our own lives that we that we've cancelled or we, that we've we, that we've deemed toxic and we need to remove them from the you know the social scene and that sort of thing. So this one I want to talk about why people care, why people get in their heads that they feel justified to kill people, uh, and I don't really want to talk too much about like the um, the film techniques or anything in this film. But if you haven't seen it uh, and you go out and watch it, just take note of the uh, the, the, the just the the, the color of this film. It's very unsaturated. It's very cold. Um, and, and I mean, it's called Snowtown. So we have this sort of motif of coldness the whole time. But I mean, you know, they're all sort of wearing jumpers and things like that. But, you know, it's in it's in like the outskirts of Adelaide. Like it's not like Siberia. Uh, and I think it's a really important, um, it's extremely important to the film that Kurtzel does kind of remove um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the warmth and heat that you very typically see in an Australian film. Like, you know, whenever you watch like a film set on the beach or the coast or something like that, they always try and, um, you know that 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 classic Australian air, that classic Australian atmosphere of you know sun and, and and dusk and dawn and those those beautiful oranges and yellows. This film really doesn't do that. It almost feels like it's set in another country uh, because I suppose Snowtown, which is a real town, you know, this is based on the actual Snowtown murders. Um, you know, it is a real place, uh, but but it, it feels so foreign, and this story feels so foreign to so many people. And I think part of its you know part of the brilliance of this film is that you see so much relatability in the people and in the moments. But we'll get into that in just a second um and that is all despite the fact that what's actually happening is insane but anyway um the, the main thing i want to touch on in terms of uh, discussing this film is is really just the plot and what happens and and, and why the main character that you know the, the respective killer in this film um feels the way he does and why he does what he does and, and i suppose one way to put it is that on paper Right on paper, if, if if I was to explain this film to someone without telling them what actually um, was going on behind the scenes or the subtext, and, and if they you know if they hadn't actually seen the movie, uh, it's about a man who uh, is you know on paper, and please bear with me on this, is sort of valiant and virtuous, right? In a way, right? It's the story of a man who um, commits himself to protecting the children of this small town uh, by going out and killing uh, pedophiles and rapists, right? Um, and now if you think about a show like Dexter or something like that, uh, or Barry, oh, no, not so much Barry, but, you know, we do see this sort of theme in a lot of modern television and films about, you know, the guy that, you know, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, but, you know, he does it for the right reasons. So we, we're kind of cool with it. Like, it's, it's okay if he does it because we know he's one of the good guys. And this is sort of the way that the killer views himself in this film uh, but we as the viewers hate him and I suppose we have to sort of ask ourselves why like he's killing pedophiles and rapists no one lo likes those kinds of people and you know one of the you know the, the film is structured so perfectly the, the beginning of the film before we introduced the actual main murderer guy we see that the children of the town are, are, are genuinely being abused like the, the, there is an, there is an actual sociological problem in this town and we kind of for the but first part of the movie kind of like the guy that ends up being the bad guy because he actually is sort of taking matters into his own hands. The cops are completely absent in the film. I was watching it with a group of people and one of the guys was like, I love that the police are just not in this film. Uh, and, and, and that's a really good point, I think, uh, because, you know, you feel almost the same way as the guy feels about, you know, taking matters into his own hands. Uh, but we don't really like him because I suppose as the viewers, we sort of just sense that he's kind of killing because of some kind of weird, obsessive fetish we, he like he's a bit of a gross guy and he i think he's sort of using these uh pedophiles and rapists as a, sort of as an, an excuse to indulge uh his violent side so we really get into 
this territory of rationality versus emotion. We've talked about that so much on this show, about the idea of, you know, when we know to act based on thoughts or when should we act based on feelings and that sort of thing. And this is a guy that's definitely acting based on thoughts. You know, it's like it's written down in ones and zeros. These guys are bad. They do bad things. I should eliminate them so that they go away. Um, and so this is a really good film for anyone to watch who, who thinks that bad people are psychopaths. You know, whenever you hear someone talk about Hitler or someone like that, they go, oh, you know, Hitler was a madman. Hitler was crazy. I think it's a really good film for someone like that to watch because to me, what this, what this, this, this antagonist in the film, the killer in this film, He's kind of really the the, the 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 you know sort of the extreme opposite of a psychopath in a weird kind of ironic way in that he's extremely sane right he's extremely rational he's he's uh, employing rationality to such an extreme extent that he becomes an extremist of his own personal sense of morality right he he can see that you know these people are bad people bad people need to go away I'm I've re- I've I've calculated that the way to kill bad people to get like if he doesn't do it there's no cops there and something bad is happening so i'm not trying and in any way shape or form trying to um make excuses for him or anything like that i would never advocate for what he does in the film but in his own head he really thinks he's doing uh the right thing and he has a very very firm grip on morality not just in the not not just within the 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 circle of you know the 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 rapists and the the pedophilia and everything going on we we see this in a lot of different aspects of his life um he's really anti-drugs like almost to like a dogmatic extent uh, and that becomes another one of his justifications for killing people. There's also this weird coincidence, but it's not really that weird if you think about it, of dinner table manners that runs through all of the films we're going to talk about. And I think it's that it's that realm, it's the arena where someone can assert that very commonsensical, very um, relatable um, form of morality, of right and wrong. You know, come on, mate, you know, hold your hold your knife and fork properly. You've got to finish your vegetables. And like this guy is off like killing people and like spilling their blood all over the place. Uh, but then the next minute he's at the dinner table, you know, telling the young kids um to, you know, make sure that they, you know, they have good table manners and they're not swearing and, and they're all all the children are very polite and, and they're almost kind of cute in it. Although the little one, you know, you really feel sorry for him in this film because they really are under the thumb of this guy because he does sort of for for 99% of the time just signify a guy that you know he has a job and he take you know he's always cooking you know healthy meals and he's always talking about you know it's a bit like animal kingdom's got a bit of that in it as well you know a lot of these films have all three of the films have it um so i think a lot of the time we can confuse ourselves and think that you know because we have a commitment to morality uh, in and of itself, because we are moral, because we hold morality itself or morally good things on a pedestal, that everything that we think is moral is, you know, we we inherit, um, you know, good moral choices from just being committed to morality itself. And there's a really interesting bit of dialogue in the film where the bad guy talks about the Anzacs, and he's like, he sort of puts himself on the same level. And I'm not agreeing with him, but it's a pretty good point, which is to say, you know, at that point in history, that's what we deemed to be the right thing. We went out and killed lots of people, right? And we've done that throughout history. And we'll never really know the extent to which that was a good or a bad thing. I mean, I imagine that, you know, I mean, I, I respect the people who have fought for this country immensely. Um, but in terms of an objective analysis, an objective assessment of what was a good battle and what was a bad war and all those different things, down to the, 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 you know, the microcosmic level and individual people holding a gun or a bayonet in the middle of the jungle and in front of some kind of uh, you know civilian or something like that we we can never really know the extent to which what to what we're doing is moral in other words just because we commit ourselves to morality 
doesn't mean that we are doing something that is objectively moral. So you might be saying, listen, Jimmy, the real problem here is that this is this is just a crazy individual guy that's taken the law in his own hands. We actually have a mechanism for this. And it's the state, it's the police. We democratically, democratically elect uh, people to run the army, to run the police, to run the navy and the air force and all those sorts of things. Um, you probably know where I'm going with this based on you know the fact that in modern society we actually are very cynical of those institutions. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about now. What happens when we put these responsibilities in the hands of, of elected officials and that sort of thing? Uh, but before we, do, before we do that, just a reminder, you are listening to 2XFM on the 98.3 frequency. Check out more quality radio content here on 2XFM if you're listening live or jump onto our website for more great uh, radio content you can listen on demand and while they're considered subscribing to the station or sponsoring this show or another show or uh, whatever show you so choose so let's move on out to our second film killer joe and if you don't know this one it's about a poor family um, sort of run by the, the the son in the family, Emil Hirsch, and they try and and him and his father try and secure a hitman, uh, who's played by Matthew McConaughey, um, and he's also a detective, right? So we've got a very interesting character in him. They they hire him to kill their mother for some kind of you know it's a very pulp fictiony kind of you know you kill the mother for the life insurance to get just a couple grand because you're scraping away in in Texas and that sort of thing. But the ex- the aspect of this film that I really want to focus on is the fact that. McConaughey is he, he he sort of walks the line between the state or the you know the the elected killer right and the private killer the you know the private hitman and and I suppose that lifts up this idea or examines the idea of of state power in the hands of a man right in the hands of a human being and and and, and really does start you can start asking questions about you know what actually is the state like we like to pretend the state is you know sign, is symbolized with badges and and you know blue and white and 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 cars and and lights and things like that, but it's really run by you and me, right? It's run by human beings. It's run by voters, and it's run by people who have flesh and blood. And you could do a really interesting analysis of this film about the the extent to which the state, um, you know, divides and conquers the way it pulls people apart, uh, the way that it's able to exploit. Uh, you could say, you know, the way that it exploits the poor because his family is poor. But there's a really interesting sort of the way that um, McConaughey's character is sort of he sort of slides in in between the characters and sort of spreads them apart and, and, and sort of rips this family apart from within um, through the use of state power. Like he is a very powerful man in terms of his detective ability and he's got a gun and all that sort of thing. Uh, and obviously he has a lot of power and that he can just send these people to jail whenever he so chooses. Um, but he is also corporeal. Like he is also flesh and blood. He is also a man. He's mortal. And therefore he's also vulnerable. And this does sort of call back to that week we did a couple of weeks ago on Cops and the idea, I think when we talked about Robocop, the idea that there, there is this sort of tragic irony in the fact that like we, 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 we subject certain citizens in this country, uh, well, I guess they volunteer for it, to do a job that human beings aren't really built to do, right? We are mortal. We can be killed. We can endure a great deal amount of injury and stress. But we're also, we also have a propensity to commit terrible acts of violence and like, like we just talked about in, in Snowtown. So the state being this sort of non-human uh, entity is really a bit of an illusion in this film. And there's a scene in this film that I love. I love stuff like this so much. And if you don't watch anything uh, from this week, uh, just go on YouTube and watch this scene. But there's a great scene where uh, Matthew McConaughey is 
trying to flirt or he's trying to get with um, Emil Hirsch's sister. They're trying to sort of use her as bait to get him uh, in, in on their deal. And they, I call this, this the undressing scene, right? So he, he, he's trying to get... It's, she's played by Juno Temple, by the way, the, the sister. And uh, he, and McConaughey, McConaughey is telling her, um, you know, he wants her to strip uh, her clothes off and put on this dress. And he's looking the other way. Like, he only has the knowledge that she's taking her clothes off. And simultaneously, he starts taking off his badge and his gun and his hat. So the, it, it, he's sort of shedding his police gear like, like like it's his shell, like it's a snake skin, right? And, and we see that's a massive motif in a lot of uh, a lot of art and cinema and, and, and things like that. You know, obviously, Ghost in the Shell has that that element to it as well. The idea, you know, the, the, the human and the state and, and machines and and the body and how those things, you know, all those different. Um, all, all those different concepts relate to each other, uh, but to the degree to which they're connected, the gr- to the degree to which they are stuck together, or to the degree to which they can be pulled apart. And so he sort of sheds his police snakeskin. And then they, they do this sort of maneuver where Juno Temple comes up behind him once he's taken all of his, his police gear off, and she puts her arms around him from behind. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to come and do the same, but come behind you. So we sort of have this very stark metaphor where she sort of is behind him she sort of has control over him but now once his his sort of police gear is off he sort of he's he, he, sort of in this consensual way even though it is a like there's obviously some, some like there's a massive sort of subtextual influence going on he comes from behind and suddenly he then has the power at this point and for the rest of the film he's sort of in control of her and in control of the family at large so this shifting and changing from one role to the other actually sort of shifts the the world around McConaughey in this character. And we see that the family itself in Killer Joe, while they sort of start out sort of like intensely incest, like there's this weird sort of motif in this film about in incest and like hypersexuality. Like in the first scene of the film, uh, the stepmother, we see her like pubic hair, like very um, clearly and viscerally at the beginning of the film. A lot of the characters are wearing very like sort of uh, like skimpy clothing and you kind of see, you can see like the protrusion of their like nipples through their shirts and things like that. And also Emil Hirsch's relationship with his sister is sort of really, it's like overly protective yet it's also kind of like a bit weird because he, he kind of like offers her off as like, you know, like almost like a prostitute, like he's like he's her pimp in a way to McConaughey. So there's all this sort of swirling sexual energy within this family. But then by the end, once McConaughey, he has kind of played his part in in their family um, situation. They all very, very clearly turn on each other in a very stark way. And I don't want to go into that too much. But essentially, I, I suppose one insight you can draw from that is that when we give state power to individual human beings, they, they have this very... Um, you know, there's this very concerning ability or opportunity that they have to um, exploit things that family and people, families and people who are very sensitive or very vulnerable or very volatile, like people who find themselves in a situation of vulnerability um, and in a place where they are really, uh, they really are need help more than anything else and don't really have any power themselves. When we do give, you know, uh, individual people the power uh, the, the, or, or the, the right to kill, the right to enforce law via violence, We can le- that can lead to an extremely, uh, I don't even want to use the same uh, phrase two weeks, in a row, but I th- two weeks in a row, but I think I will, that can lead to a very explosive end. Um, so you might be thinking at this point, well, you know, is no one allowed to, you know, um, 
is is no one allowed to kill Jimmy? Is no one allowed to, um, you know, enforce violence when it's absolutely needed? Well, at this point, I'm I, I'm going. To, let's finish with uh, our, our final film for today, and this would be Sling Blade from 1996, directed by Billy Bob Thornton, also wrote and starred in the film. Um, and look, I really want to do this film in the same week that we do Snowtown because for all intents and purposes, they're the same movie, right? <laughs> in a weird kind of way. This is also about a man who sees an injustice going on in the community um, and realizes that no one's going to do anything and he takes matters into his own hands and he goes out and, and I don't want to give too much away, but I think it's kind of clear in the, from, you know, you know that there's going to be a murder going on in this film. You know, someone's going to die. Um, but I, I suppose when we, when we look at a guy like Carl or I like when people call him Slim. Slingblade, like that's his name. Anyway, <laughs> um, but when we look at Slingblade uh, and we ask ourselves sort of why do we actually, why do we, you know, like this guy as opposed to the, you know, the bad guy in, in Snowtown, especially when we have this continuing motif of discordant morality, which we've talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks. So in, so in Snowtown, we have, you know, this individual guy thinking what he's doing is great, but us as viewers being like, well, it doesn't match my sense of morality, so it must be wrong, you know, that sort of thing. We have the same thing going on in Slingblade, but in a different kind of context though and i think it's really important that we note where the discordancies lie in this film the main one i suppose sort of is between carl's sense of morality and a religious sense of morality right and he is he's always carrying around this bible or these these sack of books and i think it's a really beautiful metaphor for carrying around the burden um that is the mystery of life, right? He's always carrying on this big bundle of books as if, as if to say, you know, um, you know, there is this wealth of knowledge that is heavy and is difficult to, 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 um, to carry around and understand, but it is something that someone has to carry. Someone has to carry the burden of uncertainty. Let's put it that way. And one of the uncertain sort of questions in his mind is, you know, what to do uh, in, in light of the Bible and in light of religion. And so, um, there, there are a lot of biblical references, in, and there's one in particular that I want to focus on, and it's this sort of anticipation or this acceptance of death or this acceptance of sacrifice, this, this sequence of sort of accepting one's fate in the, in the act of, of, of doing something you know, which is profoundly against the Bible, which is to kill someone. And this is something that we see in a lot of movies. Like We, we see this in a movie like Gran Torino. Um, that Will Smith movie, Seven Pounds, is a bit like that's this sort of thing. We talked about Taxi Driver a couple of weeks ago this has a bit of an element of that and also in another billy bomb thornton movie bad santa which we've talked about on the show there is this sort of sequence before the climax or a sequence at least at a point in the movie where the, the protagonist realizes they're about to do something pretty full-on which is probably going to lead to their demise and they sort of accept it almost like the stations of the cross right and now I don't want to be repetitive and bang on with all the same um, same talking points that we've we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, but it does sort of seem that there is this massive through line through all of the films that we've been talking about of late, and it, it is sort of that the, 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 the line between justice and using justice as a means to exploit people or, or exploit the world for your own personal gain, it sort of requires a proportionate offering of self-sacrifice, right? Like Carl, after he commits the the, the, the said uh, murder in this this film he, he he calls the police on himself like he is the own agent of his own demise in so many ways and he goes back to living in a, in a world of imprisonment and isolation right and so he sort of has this sort of guardian angel quality right he sort of transcends the everyday mortal person in a way 
And I suppose we've sort of got to ask ourselves, would, are we actually capable of that sort of thing? Is Carl a real person or is he sort of some kind of archetypal uh, divine sort of um, invention? Because we have to really ask ourselves, when we are confronted with these really difficult people in society, are we really willing to counter what is required to eliminate them? Right in a way that would would create an equilibrium in society. Right? How how could we? Are we really able to make sure that we, in taking matters into our own hands, that we don't just create even more chaos, that we don't replace tyranny with another form of tyranny? I suppose we have to ask ourselves the question: Would we ever call the cops on ourselves? Well, that's it for Sacred Cinema this week. I've been your host, Jimmy Bernasconi, on 2XXFM on the 98.3 Frequency. Thanks so much for listening to the show. As mentioned earlier, please hang around for more quality radio content here on 2XXFM or jump onto our website uh, to listen to things there. But thanks so much for listening, guys. Thanks so much for getting in touch. If you're one of those people that have reached out of late, I really appreciate all the feedback and the recommendations. We'll see you again very soon. Cheers. <laughs>